0: You've had a good service already with the special music and the baptism. That was a special event for me to get to do that. I was sharing with uh, Ray Heilman when we were visiting before that when I first came and Brandon's telling me about the baptism, that it comes up, I pictured in my mind that the whole tub raised up. (laughs) And I was really in admiration of uh, Walter Jewell for designing that 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 whole thing could come up and it was only just a little bit ago I realized the doors come up that we go down so this this preacher got a schooling, but I kind of like my idea better that the whole thing would come up uh, but it uh, it worked well and Joel it was temperature was all right he threatened us with ice cubes but He didn't do it. It is good to be in the house of the Lord and to see all of you this morning and to have that celebration. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll turn to our Scripture. Our precious Heavenly Father, You've blessed us already so much today with a beautiful day outside. After the stormy weather, it's nice and sunshiny, and it's going to be warm. It's warm inside your house. With loving fellowship of kindred minds. Father, we've celebrated one of the best parts of our Christianity and seeing these who have come to you, professing you as Savior and Lord, following in baptism, getting to share in that, Lord, it just our heart overflows. Father, we ask that you would join us, especially strong now as we open your word, that you would bring us. Understanding and enlightenment as we look forward to Easter, just some weeks out. Open our minds and hearts, Lord. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in Isaiah, going to start at 52, towards the end of the chapter, verse 13. The sermon series is titled Against All Odds and when i think about my life before i became a christian it was against all odds that god would want to save this rascal but he did i think the same is probably true for you if we were to take a show of hands of times that you've maybe run a red light or exceeded the speed limit or any number of things, we'd all have a little confession period here. And if we went to a judge with all those transgressions against us, they'd probably throw a clamor and throw the key away. And God in His justice and can do that. He has established that we are to be perfect people. We are to be completely righteous, but because of our sin nature, we don't do that. But He provided a way against all odds, and that's what we're going to be talking about. We're starting verse 13 of chapter 52 of Isaiah. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations. And kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand." Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering." Like one with whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Assuredly he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth." By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many that he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Powerful section of scripture about our suffering Lord that he became disfigured. If any of you have seen, and I I trust probably everybody here has, the passion of the Christ that depicted so realistically what Christ went through when He was whipped with the cat of nine tails and it tore the flesh from His bones. He was disfigured. And this Scripture is talking about that. We think about as we look forward to Easter... That on Easter, God did what only God could do in order to do what only God could do. Let me say that again. God did what only God could do in order to do what only God could do. We are unable to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps from the sin nature. In America, we take great pride in our rugged individualism. And how each one of us has that opportunity to put forth our effort and to become a success. And we strive to do that as we walk with the Lord, as we try to do what He says. But like Paul, we keep finding ourselves doing that which we don't want to do. And what we want to do, we don't do. What a wretched mess am I, Paul said. And we can feel that way. So only God could do what he did do in saving us and bringing us to salvation. And to do that, he had to come as this suffering servant. God saw that we human beings were racking up sins. He had laid out the Ten Commandments to give us guidance. He gave other leaders such as Moses and Aaron and others down through the ages to teach us how to walk before God. But we see if we study the history of the Old Testament that time after time, His people fell short. God would rescue them, free them from the oppressor. They would honor God for a while, but then they would go back to their old ways. And if we look at our life, we can see that cycle ourselves. We can see ourselves mired in trouble, in sin, and we cry out to God for deliverance. And He is faithful. He brings us deliverance, perhaps through a friend, perhaps in studying His Word, through the, all through the Holy Spirit, bringing us back to a fellowship with Him, leading us to confess and repent from that sin so that we develop back in fellowship. And for a while, we rejoice in His name and we sing His songs and we worship in His house. But then too soon, we stray again and we fall away into some of those ways that are against God's ways. And so we do have those charges against us, those penalties against us that have to be dealt with. But God sent Jesus Christ to pay that price. And that's the coming story of Easter. He took our punishment upon Him. He took our death upon Him so that we could have our slate cleaned, so that our sins could be whiter than snow. And we have that great promise we've talked about of God remembering our sins no more. And the wonderful thing is, is yes, we realize having done that, having believed in His Son, having received His forgiveness, that the next day we go out and commit another sin. Sometimes out of our willfulness, but sometimes out of our forgetfulness or just not paying attention. But nonetheless, it is against God's law. And it is a rejoicing that Jesus doesn't have to go back on the cross again. That was once and for all. When we fall over and over again, He doesn't have to come back and suffer that again. Jesus Christ, the God-man, was able to take all the sins of mankind that had ever been committed from the time of Adam forward to all the people who were present during Jesus' day here on earth, to all of us who live until His return, the God-man was able to take all of those sins upon Himself and carry them to the cross. Is it any wonder that when he was on the cross that the Father could not look on him and that he felt abandoned by the Father because the Father cannot look on sin and for that moment he had our sin clothing him. And he felt that pain when he cried out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? he was forsaken because of your sins because he took them upon himself but because he was the god man when he died when he gave up his breath when he was placed in the tomb there was things going on that we can't understand we don't imagine we can't even imagine jesus christ carried those sins to the grave And Paul writes later, and and there's some references in Psalm, that when Christ descended into the pit, another word for death, that He led captives host in His train. The captives were the righteous people that lived before Jesus Christ who, who tried to honor God with their lives. And God knew them, but God could not look upon them because their sin was not atoned for. And so they were waiting in Sheol, in Abraham's bosom, in paradise for that day. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, their sins being atoned for, He descended into the pit and He led the captives free to heaven. A glorious day. And that day was a once and for all thing. Jesus doesn't have to do that again. And so we, as we sit here today and we think about the sins that we commit just can be an errant thought, can be an attitude about someone, can be any number of things that is not how God would have us to live that misses the mark of the calling of God. It's already forgiven. And so we can go to the Lord in the prayer and in a turn of play with semantics, we don't have to say, Lord, forgive me for this sin because He has forgiven it. He has died on the cross for that. And so we can kneel before Him and say, Lord, thank You for my forgiveness. I turn from it. Help me not to go that way anymore. We can thank Him for His forgiveness because He did it once and for all. But in thinking of this, and I don't know if you've ever tried to think of the Gospel account from a a mindset. Many of you, most of you perhaps, grew up in the church having heard the stories of faith all your life. But if you can ever kind of detach yourself from that and think about the story, His story, the story of God, the story of Christ from someone out there who doesn't know anything about Jesus, who hears that there is a supreme creator that made everything and set everything into motion. And as creator, as father, as judge, He said, this is how you must live to have fellowship, to have union with Me and to one day be with me in heaven. This way is perfect. You cannot make a mistake. You cannot fail. You cannot fall. Or if you do, you cannot be with me. But then, that not satisfying God, because He wants fellowship with us, He wants that relationship with us, Knowing we could not do it ourselves, He made a way. A way that was designed in eternity before we were even thought of. A way that Jesus Christ would come and would take our sins upon Himself. And somehow, our minds try to wrap around how this one individual who took on the form of man and yet was God was able to take our sins upon Him, and that His sacrificial, innocent death was able to pay the penalty for those sins. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic story. But it's a true story. And all of us sitting here today who have walked with our Lord and Savior, who have felt His touch in our lives, who have known His healing, who have known His provision, can testify to you, It's real. And we also then have that glorious hope of one day when this body breathes at last that we are ushered into the presence of Almighty God. And we like to personify heaven. We don't really know what it's going to be like. It's going to be better than we can think or imagine. But we do know that Jesus is there at the right hand of the throne of God as your advocate. To those of you who have called upon His name, who have bent the knee to Him, who have given your soul over and your spirit to His mercies and grace, that He stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf to the Father, saying, this is one of my brothers, Lord. This is one of my sisters, God. And they're able to enter the kingdom and have fellowship. That's what we look forward to. That's that great day. All through the time of the Old Testament, God is trying to prepare His people. He's trying to tell them what's going to happen, what needs to happen. And there are some 330 prophecies about Jesus Christ. And the Bible sets a stipulation that if there's a seer, if there's someone who foretells the future, wants to be uh, acknowledged as sure and true as they have to be right 100% of the time. If you miss one prediction, one prophecy, then you're not a prophet of God. So we have these 330 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And as mathematicians like to do, one of them set out to try to see what the probability is. And to start out simply, if you take a coin and you flip it, it has a 50% chance of landing head or landing tails. Makes sense, there's one side it's gonna fall to one or the other. If you flip it twice, you have a 25% chance of it doing the same thing. When you get into the numbers, if you get into five predictions or 12 predictions, what kind of percentage would that be? And what would it be to correctly predict 330. This uh, Dr. Stoner that did this started extrapolating the probability. And he got up to eight prophecies, all eight having to be true. And the number for that probability was one with 17 zeros behind it. The English word for that is 100 quadrillion of chances. And he continued on to 11 and 12 and he got up to 12 and that was 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So impossible to have 100% of the predictions come true and yet every single one of them about Jesus Christ has proven true. Let's look at a few of them. in Isaiah 52:13, it says, "See my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted." And Jesus was successful. In Revelation 1:17 we have when I saw him I fell at his feet like a dead man he laid his right hand on me and said don't be afraid I am the first and the last and the living one I was dead but look I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys to death and Hades Jesus Christ was successful in the work that he came to do for you and I He was successful then there's another one in verse 14 that I've alluded to already. Just as many were appalled at you and his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. And that was Jesus Christ when He was whipped. If you have some knowledge of the cat of nine tails, it was a, it was a whip with, with many leads on it. And in those leads, they would embed bone and stone and other things. And as they would whip, they'd go for the back, but sometimes it would wrap around. And as they pulled it back, it would pull just chunks of flesh from the body. It would shred a back or a body. And that's what he endured. He was dif- disfigured. He was uh, ugly to look upon. It, it was discombobulating when the Passion of the Christ came out. Sue and I went to see it. It's powerful. Went back to our church, told the, some about it, and one of the ladies asked if we'd go with her. She didn't have anybody else, so Sue and I went back to see Passion of the Christ again, and we watched it again. And friends, I don't really care to watch it some more. It's just too troubling. It's too hurtful to see what he went through on our behalf. Every bit of it true. Every bit of it real. But it's hard to look upon his visage as he was whipped within an inch of his life. And then he was placed on the cross, that raw back placed on that wooden cross. And they would put their feet together on a little pedestal on the bottom, and they'd drive a spike through those feet. Of course, their hands were up, nails through the wrist here, not through the hand, but through the wrist. And they could stay alive for a long time because with their feet They could push themselves up. See, when you're hanging like this, you can't breathe. Cuts off your air supply and you'd suffocate. But the desire to survive would cause to push up, rubbing that raw back on the raw wood so that you could catch a breath only to sink back down again. And the human body can do that for hours at a time and prolong the life. And that is why the Scripture tells us the Roman soldiers after a period of time would come along and break the legs of those crucified so that it was an act of mercy. Because with their legs broken, they couldn't push themselves up anymore for a gasp of air and they eventually would suffocate and die. But when they came to Jesus, He had already given up His Spirit. They did not have to break His legs. He was the perfect, unblemished Lamb that was prophesied. He gave up His Spirit, and He descended against all odds what the mighty God did for us. So what are the odds that that could happen? They're tremendous. But God did that. He set that in place millennia ago because He wants you to have a relationship with Him. You see, when He created the garden And He placed Adam there, and then He gave Adam Eve. God used to come, and they would walk in the garden. Remember that old song? I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the lilies. They were able to walk with God and talk with Him without any conscience, without any guilt, just freely to be able to commune with the Creator. And then when they fell, that was broken. God couldn't be in the presence of sin. He had to cast them from the garden. But ever since that time, God's been working to restore you to that level of fellowship of walking in the garden with Him. And as you receive Him, and as you're baptized, as we saw today, that relationship is brought back in full force. He he washes away the sin. He remembers it no more. It is as if it didn't happen. That's the justification just as if I'd never sinned. And when you get to be in that place, you can talk to him freely. There's nothing in between. You know, I had a great relationship with my dad. We spent a lot of time sailing or doing different things together. Believe it or not, I'd disobey him from time to time. And when I did, I was timid to come into his presence. I was timid to talk to him. One, I, I would fear that he'd known what I had done or. I'd blurt it out, or, or somehow, but when I disobeyed His rules, it created a wall in our relationship. But when I'd confess to Him, when I'd tell Him what I'd done, when He'd do discipline, our relationship was restored. And we could go sailing again, or work on the car, or whatever it was we were doing. That's the way it is with your heavenly Father. When you accept Christ as Savior, there's nothing in between. You have full access to Him and He to you. And He's ready to talk with you, to bless you, to lead you, to guide you. And then when that time comes in your day that you violate one of His laws, and it places that barrier in that relationship, all you need to do is take that time, say, "I did it again, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Teach me how to turn from that sin and walk with you more closely each day and that relationship's restored, as if it never the sin never happened. That's against all odds that, that a heavenly Father, a creator being, would not choose to keep you down, to keep you in guilt, to keep you suffering from the relationship schism between you, but who laid down His life just so y'all could be friends. And that's what He's waiting for today. It may be that you're here and you haven't made that decision Professing Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know there's something wrong. You know that you're not at peace with Him. And perhaps you're even wanting to keep doing those things that you want to do that you know are wrong. But less and less you're finding they bring you joy. The Savior's waiting. It may be as a Christian that you've accepted Christ, you believe in Him as a Messiah, you know that He died for your sins and you're going to be with Him one day, but you still just have this little thing you can't let go of. And in the night that comes to mind, and God reminds you that He needs you to let that go, that's what today is for. That's what now is for. To accept Him as your Savior. To confess to Him what's standing in the way to repent and develop into that full fellowship. We here at Campbellsburg Baptist Church want to be a family that supports you and helps you in that walk with God. And so we we offer ourselves not as perfect, but as a loving family to embrace you, to help you grow. So we invite you to come to do that. Mark's going to come now and lead us in our song, closing song. Have you been to Calvary? Have you been to that place once in your life where you've said, Lord, I accept you as Lord. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your cleansing. And Christians, have you come to that place today to say, Father, I've I've failed again. Thank you for your forgiveness. Pick me up. Empower me to go on. Let's stand and sing. Have you been to Calvary? 324.